0: Welcome to the Idea Blog Podcast on the Criminal Code of Canada. This is Episode 58, and I am Lisa Silver, your host for this podcast on Sections 72 and 73 of the Criminal Code that I entitle, Ye Old Longstanding Offenses of Forcible Entry and Forcible Detainer. In this episode, we are reviewing two very old common law property offences found in Part 2, Offences Against Public Order, namely Section 72, the Offence of Forcible Entry under 72, Subsection 1, and Forcible Detainer under Section 72, Subsection 2. We will also look at Section 73, which is the Punishment section for both offences. Although these offenses are separate concepts, there are some similarities. Both offenses can be temporally connected. One can commit forcible entry of real property in accordance with section 72 subsection 1 and then once on the property, detain that real property pursuant to section 72 sub 2. Both offenses involve a breach of the peace making these property crimes with a twist. In section 72 we see the intersection of the public and private as the protection of property is not just a civil wrong or a purely personal matter but is also a public one. Overlaid on this intersection of public and private is the state's concern for the potential for violent confrontation which is at the core of these offenses. This creates a criminal offence, as opposed to a mere regulatory offence, or, in other words, a trespass offence. It's difficult not to view these offences as medieval throwbacks. The offences have a whiff of the castle keep about them. At first blush, one wonders why they're still in the criminal code, with their archaic language and ye old England perspective. Justice Doherty in Regina and D.H., a 2002 Ontario Court of Appeal decision, suggested the offense of forcible entry, although long-standing, is seldom prosecuted. Yet, there are several decisions on these offenses. When I did a quick, Canley search and searched forcible entry, that produced 589 case mentions, albeit they're not all for that criminal offence, and when I put in the search term forcible detainer, that produced 85 cases. Furthermore, these cases spanned over a hundred years. Indeed, the oldest forcible entry case is from 1889. Take the facts of the D.J. case as an example. Among other charges the accused was facing, the accused was convicted at trial of forcible entry for knocking at an acquaintance's door and thereby gaining entry into the house, purportedly to escape from the police who were investigating DJ for break-ins. After a thorough analysis of the historical background of forcible entry, and a superb comparison of the English and French versions of the offense by Justice Doherty, DJ was acquitted on appeal. By the way, I'm calling this case DJ, but it is D bracket J and bracket. What actually means that it's a a young offender case, and uh, D would be the young person's last name. In any event, in the end, quote, the evidence offered by the Crown was incapable of proving the offence, end quote. Simply gaining entrance into real property is not enough. The entry must be criminal, and to be criminal must create an actual or potential confrontation or resistance. But we're getting ahead of this discussion. Let's take a deeper look at some of the essential elements of the actus reus, or prohibited act, requirements for these sections. First, forcible entry occurs when a person, quote, enters real property that is in the actual and peaceable possession of another in a manner that's likely to cause a breach of the peace or reasonable apprehension of a breach of the peace, end quote. I will discuss the meaning of enters, real property, actual and peaceable possession, and breach of the peace. To understand these terms, it's helpful to step back and consider the roots of the offence and the underlying purpose of the section. The offence of forcible entry was enacted in very early times in England to deter vigilante justice and for that proposition see the case of Regina and Zegledi, that's C-Z-E-G-L-E-D-I, which is actually a 1931 decision from the Saskatchewan Court of Appeal. According to the earliest versions of the offense, as found in statutes of Richard II, namely the Forcible Entry Act from 1381, you can see a discussion of this statute uh, in, in a Law Commission report from Australia. Um, I do have, by the way, on my website, on ideablog.ca, I have a text version of this podcast, and so if you're interested in linking to anything from what I'm saying, please go to that written version. In any event, according to these earliest versions of the offense, the law ensured entry onto the property was done in a peaceful and easy manner, rather than with a strong hand or with a multitude of people. In Section 72, the line between a civil wrong and a criminal offence can therefore be numeric, involving a crowd of potential rabble-rousers, turning the offence into a crime of violence, or it can involve the strength of one single person, who in essence acts as many, using strong-arm tactics to gain entry into a household. This violent aspect is underlined in the original pre-criminal code offence found in Burbage's Digest of the Criminal Law of Canada. In that version, the common law offence of forcible entry occurs when a person enters in a violent manner and therefore creates a vis publica, subject to criminal prosecution under Roman law. Sir Stephen Fitzjames Stephen, who wrote extensively on criminal law in the late 1800s and is considered the originator of criminal law codification, suggested in his 1883 book, A History of the Criminal Law of Canada, that without crimes like, quote, theft, forcible entry, malicious mischief, and the like, and if there were no means of forcing people to respect proprietary rights, there would be no such thing as property law. End quote. Those are bold words indeed. This gives us insight into the historical gravity of these kind of offenses and the importance placed on property rights. Justice Doherty and D.J. further explained the differences between the common law crime and the codified version. As stated earlier, the original form of the offense was directed toward the taking by force of real property from a person who is in actual possession of it, even if the person taking it had a legal right or claim to the property. This makes sense if the focus of the offence is to deter breaches of the public peace. It was a matter of preserving the status quo even if that stasis was wrong in law, the idea being of course that turning to peaceful means of retrieving possession of the property could be done within the law not so in the criminal code offence, which adds the phrase peaceable possession. In real property terms, peaceable possession means possession in which the possessor has rights to a legal claim over the property. This makes the criminal code offence not so much an offence preserving the status quo, but one that protects legal rights as well. So in other words, the person Forcibly entering is taking property from someone who has this legal claim. The case of Regina born with a tooth, which is a 1992 Alberta Court of Appeal decision for a full discussion of the term peaceable possession. Of course, forcible entry requires the person enter real property. Although we all have a basic understanding of what it means to enter a space, the word still holds some surprises. For instance, enters, in the French version of the Criminal Code, is "prend possession, suggesting the entry is more than merely physical and imports a requirement for control over the property being physically entered. This analysis of the French version of the offense, by the way, comes from Regina and D.J. Indeed, possession as defined under section 4 subsection 3 of the Criminal Code contemplates a need for control for possession to be made out under the Criminal Code. So when considering the French version, Praud possession, this is entry with a purpose and gives this offense a sinister air, particularly when viewed with the requirement that the entry is likely to cause a breach of the peace or a reasonable apprehension of a breach of the peace. How about that phrase, breach of the peace? Well, it does have a particular meaning in the context of forcible entry and forcible detainer, which is colored by the meaning of entry and of peaceable possession. In episode 36 of these podcasts, I reviewed the meaning of breach of peace in the context of unlawful assembly and riots, and I'm not going to get into that discussion again. But interestingly, the Supreme Court of Canada in Frey and Fedorak, it's a 1950 decision, suggested that the phrase breach of the peace in the context of unlawful assembly and riots required actual violent action. But the Court opined that this more restrictive interpretation did not apply to Section 72 offenses. There, according to the majority decision in Frey, Isolated and temporary acts of trespass is not the concern, but entry with the intention of taking possession is the underlying issue. Now, although this appears to import an intention to take possession, a mens rea requirement, a specific one, as an essential ingredient of forcible entry, The offense section was actually amended in 1985 and section 72 1.1 was added and that subsection makes it clear that whether the person entering has a claim or entitlement to enter the property is immaterial. The subsection also clarifies that it is immaterial whether the person entering intends to take possession of the property. This amendment seems to belie the true nature of this offense. In the French version, turning to that again and turning to Justice Doherty's analysis in DJ, in the French version of this subsection, the phrase used is and excuse me if my accent is terrible, which no doubt it is. Grade twelve French is not enough. That's all I can tell everybody who is listening to a podcast that you got to do more than that in in order to really. You know, I I often say how sorry I am that I didn't do French immersion as well. In any event, the French phrase used is semparer définitivement, meaning to seize, for good, or definitely. This gives the immateriality a different spin. According to Justice Doherty and D.J., this imports a more subtle meaning. In the French version, it is immaterial that the accused intended to take over the property, not merely that the person intended to take possession of the property, quote, no matter how fleeting or qualified, end quote. And that's quote is from Justice Doherty's decision. So Justice Doherty finds that the French version is, quote, truer to the crime's historical roots, end quote, which, as mentioned earlier, tried to preserve the status quo despite legal claims and rights to the property without confrontation. And it also focused on that breach of the peace concept that may come with taking something for, for good or definitely. This change from common law to codification shows the present crime to be more concerned with property rights than the potential for violence. The entry must be on to real property. In law, real property is land, including immovables on that land, such as buildings, structures, improvements, and can also include an interest in the land, such as a leasehold interest. See the Federal Act entitled Federal Real Property and Federal Immovables Act. In Burbage's Digest of the Criminal Law of Canada, which was used as the basis for the first 1892 Criminal Code, forcible entry is onto lands or tenements. This phrase, lands or tenements, can be considered simply an archaic expression of real property with tenements including rents or other profits granted out of land. In the first Criminal Code of 1892, until the amendments in 1955, forcible entry was on to land only. So, this change in language from land to real property does not appear to have changed the scope of the property in question, as most of the forcible entry offenses relate to entry into residential premises. As outlined earlier, the present version of the offense requires no violence but does require that breach of of the peace, although, as we've seen, that does not necessarily require a violent gathering. Section 72 sub 2 outlines the offense of forcible detainer. I mentioned earlier that this offense appears to flow, flow from forcible entry. The offense is also very much fixed on protecting property rights. Forcible detainer occurs when the accused is in actual possession of real property without color of right, and that detention is in opposition to a person who is entitled by law to possess it. Such detention, however, must also attract the likelihood or reasonable apprehension of breach of the peace. Although property rights are front and center, there is still an added concern for a violent confrontation as a result. And of course, That phrase has to have some meaning, that breach of the peace, because otherwise, to be honest, otherwise, if it didn't have that phrase, breach of the peace, forcible detainer would look very much like theft. So speaking of theft, taking something without color of right is also a requirement for the crime of theft under Section 322. Often, color of right is referred to as a defense and is characterized as an exception to the general rule that ignorance of the law is no excuse. Color of right can be either a mistake of fact defense or mistake of law. Someone who acts with color of right is acting either under an honest belief in a state of facts, which, if true, would provide a justification or excuse for their conduct, or is acting under an honest but mistaken belief in a legal right or claim to a thing, even if unfounded in law or in fact. And see Regina and DeMarco, which is a 1973 Ontario Court of Appeal case. A moral claim is not enough. Moreover, the belief must be honestly held, although not necessarily reasonably held. This means that self-help remedies are precluded, and see Regina Manuel, which is a 2008 B.C. Court of Appeal decision, where leave to the Supreme Court of Canada was dismissed. Significantly, the legal rights can be based in Aboriginal rights and title, and you can look at at the Manuel case for that concept at paragraph 53. Over time, the punishment for these offenses have changed. Originally, in the 1892 code, these offenses were considered the more serious indictable offense with a maximum of one-year imprisonment. In 1953, the punishment maximum was increased to two years imprisonment. In 1985, the offenses became dual or hybrid offenses, meaning the Crown could elect to proceed by summary conviction or by way of indictment. Before ending this discussion, it's important to do a reality check. Thus far, we have discussed the history and essential elements of these old common law crimes, but other than referencing one case example, we haven't looked at the application of the law. Our concern should not only be with what the law is, but what the law does. So I ask these questions. In what circumstances are people convicted of these offenses, and why? are these charges properly laid for these facts situations and what other alternatives are there? The answers to these questions are likely outside the scope of this discussion but let's get the discussion started by reviewing two case decisions. I've already mentioned Regina and DJ which notably was an appeal against conviction where the appellate court found no basis for that original conviction. This is concerning and a review of other forcible entry convictions seem to suggest that this problem is not singular. It is not just the D.J. decision where this happens. So, for instance, in Regina and Bud, which is a 2021 Manitoba provincial court case, The accused entered a plea of guilty to the offence of forcible entry. He was intoxicated uh, at, at the time he entered the home. He entered through an unlocked door. He was looking for someone he knew, namely the mother of the family residing in the home. He entered a child's bedroom. He touched the child on the breast, albeit, according to the facts, not for a sexual reason, but to merely wake up the child. I'm going to stop there because, okay, it's not a sexual assault, but it's still an assault. It's a touching without consent. The child was awake and ran out of the room. Although the accused was in a home without consent, the facts do not fulfill this historical conception of forcible entry. There's no vigilante trying to take someone else's property. Um, it's hard to see where the breach of peace could arise, although I I suppose there is that potential confrontation that could be the issue. Uh, But it just seems in this fact scenario that being in the home seems to be peripheral to the real concern. Now of course this is different than DJ. In DJ, uh, the person was was, was in the home with permission here, Here Bud is in the home without permission. So the concern is that someone entered the home without permission while intoxicated and with a questionable purpose. I want to go further with this and suggest that the accused broke and entered the premises while committing an indictable offense, namely an assault on the child pursuant to section 348 of the criminal code, and at best The other offense being committed here is being unlawfully in a dwelling house under section 349. To consider this instead a forcible entry strains even the present conception of this offense, where it's immaterial whether the person intended to take possession of the property. So I mean that that property emphasis perhaps is not as important. my concern is that if these facts serve as the exemplar for this offence of forcible entry, then the offence is simply entering a dwelling house without consent. And, and why, why change this old offence into something that it originally was not? Now, of course, this is a guilty plea. And it may be that instead of entering a plea to the more serious break-and-enter, forcible entry plea was negotiated because it is a hybrid offence. It, it could You could go by summary conviction, it would be less serious. If this is the case then to me this means we have a problem. And the problem is not with the offence of forcible entry. The problem is with the punishment maximums for the more proper offences of break and enter and unlawfully in a dwelling house. And it may be that we should consider those offences to be changed to hybrid offences as well to allow for less serious situations of when someone breaks into a dwelling house uh, for the purpose of committing an indictable offence or it may be that we should just change forcible entry into being in a dwelling house without consent although there may be there may be mens rea issues with that in any event we have a problem and it may be that to enter a plea of guilty may be practical but that does not make it right these facts then become part of the crime's narrative in a quick glance of the database reveals that there are in fact other convictions for similar fact situations. The case of D- D.J. is one of them and it took an appeal court to rectify that error. Other cases mention forcible entry as convictions on criminal records and those convictions are being used to assess bail and sentence. It is also equally clear that forcible entry usually does not stand alone and typically there are other charges such as in the case of Bud. Reading these cases, one wonders whether the cycle of over-incarceration is aggravated by this kind of chameleon-like charge. All of the convictions are inappropriate. Despite the proper use of the charge, it does raise the issue of why these offences are still in the Criminal Code. In 2018, many old common law offences were removed, such as Section 71, Dueling, and Section 49, Alarming the Queen. The main reason for doing so was because there are other offenses in the Criminal Code that could be laid if necessary. Dueling, for instance, involves weapons and bodily harm and we have offenses to cover that, uh, such as aggravated assault or assault with a weapon. We also have case law on when someone can consent to bodily harm and when someone cannot, such as in a self-help, let's take it outside scenario, which is discussed thoroughly in the case of Regina and Joe Don, 1991, Supreme Court of Canada. As much as the offenses under Section 72 are fascinating historically, we should wonder whether we need them at all. This particularly is so, considering that these offenses are still considered public order crimes and yet are not used as public order crimes. So that's it. That's my, I know I ended this with a bit of a rant, but, but that's my uh, return to my idea blog podcast, The Criminal Code of Canada, that completes our discussion. Well, really, it doesn't complete it, but it, it starts it in a deep way, a discussion of these ancient and long-standing offenses of forcible entry and forcible detainer. In the next episode, we'll stay back in time and we'll look at the crime of piracy under Section 74.